what causes uh, you to feel or be afraid? There are common uh, sources of fear that many people um, experience or face in life. Some uh, live in fear of financial struggles, financial instability. Uh, Others fear failing, failing at work, failing at home, failing God. Others struggle with a fear of the future or fear of sickness or suffering. The Bible talks a lot about the fear of man. We could certainly add to this list, but all of us at some level know and experience in our lives uh, what it is to live in fear, worry, anxiety. And if we were to stop and take an honest look at um, the, the, the root of fear, we would have to say that all forms of fear, at least at some level, are expressions of a, a, a momentary lack of trust in God. If we're being overcome by fear due to financial burdens, then we're likely taking our eyes off of God as our provider. If we're overcome by fear of health concerns, then it could be that our circumstances have have caused us to overlook God's sovereign care and providence in our lives. And in those circumstances, our Our lack of trust may not be deliberate. Often it's not. It might just be a a knee-jerk response to circumstances, to hardships, to pain, to suffering. And in such times, we uh, we we need help to turn our eyes back onto the solid basis of hope that we have in the Lord our God. And so this evening, I want to take us to a passage of Scripture that helps us do just that. Our passage this evening is Psalm 27. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. It's a Psalm of David. David, uh, who often found himself in circumstances that could have been fodder for fear. Yet we see David continually drawn not to cower in fear, but rather to place his trust in the living God. And so if you're here this evening and a, a person who, whose heart maybe is prone to fear, or even if you're not, let's let the truth of Psalm 27 uh, minister to our hearts tonight, encourage our hearts, so that we might be a people who are not characterized by fear, but rather that our lives, no matter what our circumstances, might be characterized by our trust and faith in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, uh, with your Bibles open to Psalm 27, let me read God's word for us uh, this evening. Beginning in verse 1. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat eat up my flesh, my adversaries... And foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have I asked of the Lord, 
that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again as we come to God's word tonight. Father, we, we thank you for uh, these words that you have preserved for us. These are not the words of a mere man, but this is the very word of God. So, Father, we pray that you teach us from it. Help us, too, to see, as David saw, that you are our light, and our salvation, a God in whom we can trust. And so, Father, meet us here this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love uh, about this psalm is that it seems to follow the pattern of how fear actually works in our lives. Most of us don't live in a constant state of fear, but we begin in a place of confidence, confidence in God. Life is moving along. But then sometimes something happens. A circumstance comes along that, that our confidence is shaken. And in the face of, of those circumstances, Lord willing, uh, we're reminded of the reason we have hope in God. And so after walking through that valley, whatever that valley might be, we find that we are then able to have renewed and sometimes even a greater confidence in the Lord our God. And that's the general pattern of this psalm as well. And that's going to be the pattern I use for our outline tonight as we walk through this text. We begin with confidence, and then there's a crisis, and then a renewal of faith. And we see this in David's life in Psalm 27. So first consider with me, David's declaration of faith. And and we see this in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 27. David begins the psalm with a beautiful declaration of faith and trust in God. Notice how he begins uh, this psalm with uh, some rhetorical questions. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
Verse 1, of whom shall I be afraid? You see, David has come to see that, that the Lord is his light and his salvation. And there really is no thing, no one, that ought to cause him to live in fear. David's questions remind me a little bit of Romans 8, where Paul uh, writes asking some similar rhetorical questions. Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. Paul asks, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Essentially what Paul asks us is, if God has justified us, then who can condemn us? If Christ died for us and is interceding for us, then what can man ever do that would, would tear us from God's gracious grip? Answer, nothing. And, and that's the confidence that David had as well. That we read about in Psalm 27. He goes on in verses 2 and 3 to describe the, the kinds of trials that might incite someone to fear. Namely, being surrounded by enemies, ready to pounce and attack. When evildoers assail me, David says, verse 2, to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. So he speaks of armies encamping around him. And David is not just using his imagination. He's not just thinking, you know, what would it be like to be surrounded by armies? No, David knew firsthand. David's life was constantly being threatened. He knew what it was to be in the crosshairs of people who hated him. Think of King Saul or Absalom, just to name a couple. And yet David's declaration of faith was firm. He says in verse 3, Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. I will be confident. Why? Because David knew that the Lord was his light and salvation. He goes on in verses 4 to 6 to speak of his abiding hope. Listen again to verse 4. Familiar words, I think. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David declares that his heart's greatest desire is to be in the presence of God, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord in wonder and worship. And the point that David draws from this in verses 5 and 6 is this. What, what point is he making? Verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter. God is my shelter. He will guard my life. He, he is my rock and my strength. Therefore, David says, even though armies surround me, 
I will not fear, but I will sing and make melody, for my trust is in the Lord. David's declaration of faith in the opening six verses of this psalm is sort of like the default setting of faith in David's life as one who know who knew the Lord, who believed in God. If you have a, a newer car, you might have a feature in your car. I don't have a car like this, but you might have one uh, that has different settings that you can save for the driver's seat, you know, the adjustments. And so you start the car and the seat, you know, moves into place. And uh, the, the setting is there, you know, for the main driver, and you can maybe save other settings. It's, it's comfortable when the seat is in the right place. Everything's exactly where it's supposed to be. You can cruise down the road with ease, and that's a little bit like the default setting of David's faith. He, he knows that the Lord is sovereign. He, he knows that God is worthy to be trusted and, and worshipped. And for that reason, most of the time, David can cruise through the ups and downs of life and have his faith not be derailed. He can face enemies. He can lead armies. He can rule a kingdom. He can live in his life in confidence, knowing the Lord is my light and my salvation. Therefore, I will not fear. And I'm guessing that that is the way it is for most of us here this evening as well. If you've known Christ uh, for any length of time, you, you didn't wake up this morning thinking, I wonder if God exists today. I know he existed yesterday. But today I'm not so sure. Or you, don't, you didn't wake up thinking, oh, I, I knew I could trust God last week, but, but today I don't, I don't know if I can trust him. Now, if you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, our, our default setting when it comes to God is faith and trust. We, we know that he is a good and gracious God. We know that he's a God worthy to be worshipped. A God whom, uh, whom has proved himself to us time and time again, and namely through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, dear friends, that doesn't mean that our confidence in God will not ever be challenged. We find in the next section of the psalm that, that David's confident faith turned into a crisis of faith. As you read through Psalm 27, there's an obvious shift from verses 1 to 6 to verses 7 to 12. The tone shifts. So much so that some scholars who uh, read this psalm think that it, it couldn't have been written by the same person, at least not, not at the same time, you know, not in the same sitting. It must have been two separate psalms that got, got brought together at some point and made into one psalm. But actually, I think it's the tension between the first half of Psalm 27 and the second half of Psalm 27 that gives it an air of authenticity, because that's the way that it works in our lives. There's no reason to think that, that David uh, didn't sit down and just write this psalm. This is the way that we experience these things in our own lives. Faith, uh, fear rather, shows up, sometimes out of the blue. We too can be cruising along in, in life, in faith, in trust, 
And some situation comes along that, that causes you out of nowhere to stumble. You might be singing 10,000 reasons in church on Sunday, but on Monday you receive news that throws your heart into panic. And we're given a glimpse in verses 7 through 12 that, that David must have had a similar experience. Take note in these verses, if you have your Bible open, of uh, the many expressions David uses to suggest that, that he is wrestling with some difficult circumstances. Look at verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. In verse 9, he begs, God, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. And then in verse 10, David shares this sad insight. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. In verse 12, he pleads that that God would not hand David over to his enemies who have falsely accused him, who, who breathe out violence on him. And though David's faith turns into a crisis of faith, that doesn't mean, however, that David lost his way. For what becomes clear is that even in the face of these situations, of, of the fear and the confusion, David's circumstances don't turn him away from God, but rather they turn him toward God, which is exactly the direction we also need to turn in our own lives when these situations come about. What does David do when his confidence is challenged? He does two things we see in in these verses 7 through 12. The first thing David does is he persistently seeks God in prayer. Just listen to his words again, verses 7 through 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, God, your face do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Then listen to what he says. Oh, you who've been my help. Don't cast me off. Forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation. This is not a prayer of a hopeless man. It's not a prayer of doubt. But it is a prayer of faith. David calls upon the Lord. Oh Lord, you've been my help. You've been my salvation. Friends, the ability to cry out to God in prayer is one of the uh, greatest gifts that God has given us as his people. The invitation God gives for us to come to him in prayer freely. And yet it's one of the most neglected gifts that God has given us as well. The Heidelberg Catechism teaches us in Lord's Day 45 that that prayer is, I don't think it says one of the most important, but it says the most important part of our thankfulness to God. Prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness to God. Why? Well, you see, when our circumstances come along, circumstances that might confuse us, we can know that there's one thing 
about which we ought to never be confused. And that is, in the midst of confusing, fear-inducing circumstances, we can know that God is our light and our salvation, as David uh, knew and believed here. And so we can be thankful to God, even in the midst of hardship and affliction. It's like David is saying in, in these verses, Oh God, yesterday you were my rock and my strength. And today, even as the ground beneath my feet is crumbling, you are still my rock. You are still my God. You are still the firm place in which I stand. But I need help. That kind of response doesn't always come easy to us, does it? You say, well, David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us that. He must have just been one of those guys who, who by nature, trusted God all the time, no matter what was happening. I don't think so. Let's not forget that David was a flawed man, just like we are flawed people. David was not some super saint. He had real struggles, just like you and me. So how is it that David could so persistently seek God in prayer, as we see not only in Psalm 27, but throughout the Psalms? These are prayers to God, beautiful prayers. I'm convinced that it's because of what we read next in our passage Not only does David seek God diligently in prayer, but in the midst of this crisis of faith, David diligently sought God in his word. Listen to verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me your way. Where would David turn to be taught God's way, God's word. Is David really saying to us that the way to battle fear is by praying and reading our Bible? I know it sounds a little bit trite, doesn't it? And yes, we can hear those words and we can say those words in a surfacey kind of, it's kind of the the message that you expect a, a pastor to give, right? Read your Bible and pray but it doesn't make them less true. For David, this was not a trite or mindless thing to do. In fact, David wrote a whole lengthy psalm to express his desire to seek God in his word, Psalm 119. I want to share just a couple of verses, not the whole thing, but just a couple of verses from that psalm, verse 49 and 50. Listen to what Psalm 119 says. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. You've made me hope in your word. And then the next verse, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. So when David says we ought to seek God in his word, he's not talking about just reading a couple Bible verses and checking off the box He means that we truly meditate on the promises of God and deeply ponder God's truth. Why? 
Because of what he says here in Psalm 119, your promise gives me life. It's because we recognize that, that God's word gives us life. Our hope is found in the promises God has given us in his holy, inspired word. Dear friends, if, is there something that has caused fear to overtake your heart and life? I wonder if you have truly, honestly sought the Lord in prayer. If you have sought to listen to him in his word and how his words, which are life, speak into those fears. If, for example, you fear death, it's a common fear people have, where might we turn in God's word to find an answer? One faith-inducing answer is given us in 1 Corinthians 15, a wonderful chapter on the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, Christ's resurrection, and our own future resurrection. This is the chapter where Paul says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then he goes on to say in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are words that bring hope in the midst of fear. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Does death frighten us? Yes, sometimes it does. But God assures us that through Christ, even death loses its sting. We have real, eternal hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to meditate on truths like that. Or maybe we're, we're like the father in uh, that story in the Gospels, the father with the demon-possessed son. In the sense that as we meditate on the truth of God, maybe our prayer is something like this, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe these promises are true, but, but help me to let these truths sink down into my mind and my heart so that I don't just believe them in my, my head, but that these promises give me hope. And we can do the same with any fear that we face. When, when we fear rejection by other people or when we're afraid of being alone, what does God promise How about a promise like this? God says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And on and on and on we could go. Why? Because David is absolutely right. The Lord is our light and our salvation. And when we are trusting in him, we have no reason to fear What happens when we allow God's word to begin to speak into our life? Well, most likely we will experience what David experiences here in this psalm. As he moved from, he went from a place of confidence to a crisis and then to a renewal of his confidence in the Lord. And that's what we see in the final two verses of the psalm, David's renewal of faith. Listen to 
uh, his conclusion, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Then David calls out to any who read Psalm 27, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Having taken his fears to the Lord in prayer, having meditated on God's precious promises, David's faith was renewed. He says, I believe that I will look on the goodness of the Lord when? Sometime in the future. I believe I will look on the goodness of the Lord after I breathe my last breath and enter into glory. No, that's not what he says. He says, I believe I will look on the goodness of the Lord here and now. I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the face of fear, in the face of hardship. David says, I trust in the Lord so much. His promises are so sure that I believe I will see his goodness even now. And he concludes by calling us to do the same. Wait upon the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Dear friends, as we close uh, this evening, let me ask you to consider the question that David raises. Whom shall we fear? Whom shall we fear? Or we could add, what shall we fear? Is there anything that could come into our lives that would would undermine um, the confident trust that we have in the Lord our God? I can do no better than to point us again to God's word, what God himself tells us. Going back to Romans 8, a wonderful chapter. Paul goes on to say, after those rhetorical questions I read earlier, he continues saying, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives us this list. Shall tribulation, distress, Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Is there anything that should separate us from the love of Christ? He says, we face death all day long. We're like sheep led to the slaughter. Then he goes on to declare in verse 37, no, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am confident that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. People of God, do you believe this truth? Do you believe those words that we just heard? Do you believe that those are true? That nothing 
in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Given the fact that you're here tonight, I'm trusting that you do believe those words. And so the question is, whom whom shall we fear? What shall we fear? If you are in Christ, then Paul's answer, David's answer, is no one and nothing. For the Lord is your light and your salvation. So we can say, I will not be afraid. Instead, I will believe on him and wait on him to deliver me. And so even when fear does begin to creep into our lives, may we turn to these words. And may this not just be David's confident declaration, but that this might be our confident declaration as well. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Let's pray.